Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vegan Radio Podcast. This summer, Vegan Radio will be going on tour with the Vegan Bus, a full-size school bus that runs on waste vegetable oil. We'll be doing vegan education and outreach and events across the U.S. Using art, performance, and multimedia to increase public awareness about the connections between dietary choice, personal health, cultural ethics, and a globally sustainable ecology. Oh, yeah. Vegan Radio will be documenting the journey with regular podcasts as well as video clips. Please consider making a small donation or a big one to the Vegan Bus Project to help us make the summer 2009 tour happen. We feel this project has the potential to reach thousands of people and get them to consider veganism. We need a strong community to make it happen. If you'd like to volunteer or contribute, visit theveganbus.com for more details. And thanks for listening. You are listening to Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. Aren't you? Yes. <laughs> We're all listening yeah. to Yeah. I'm listening. And if you're listening, you must know that it must be time once again for the Vegan Radio Show. The <coughs> Vegan Radio Show. The one and only amazing show about veganism. Vegan <laughs> radio. That's true. We're all in high gear tonight. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Woo! I'm like sleep deprived. <laughs> you're, you're getting over a cold. Wait. Julian's getting over some kind of cold. Vegans don't get sick, Scott. Keep it quiet. <laughs> well, you've only had it Supposed for like a day Supposed to keep it on the something. DL. You're almost, you're almost healthy now. <laughs> yeah. You know you're doing I kicked it. <clears throat> Viral butt. Yeah. Excellent. So, today's show, we have uh, Life by Chocolate founder, mm-hmm. Mark LaPaola. Is that his name? Mark LaPaola. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I think so. Something like that. Life Mark by Chocolate. La Paula. <laughs> Mark LaPaola. Because it should be about life by chocolate and not death by chocolate. That's his view. That's right. You shouldn't die from eating chocolate. Shouldn't be about there guilt. Would probably be worse ways to go. Unless you're a dog, you might die from eating too much chocolate. Unless you fell into a vat of chocolate. <laughs> and I guess they do a lot of local and sustainable and organic ingredients as much as they can and compost their stuff. So we'll talk about the kind of awesome practices they do. And they have lots of vegan, vegan chocolate. Nice. Most excellent. Yeah. Speaking of dogs, did you hear about uh, Obama's dog? <laughs> yeah, it's some kind of uh, Portuguese water dog, I think, is what he's getting. <laughs> he's getting a, a For the kids. Echo, echo dog house delivered by Neil Young in his all-electric 1959 Lincoln. <clears throat> uh-huh. Um, so... This isn't your average run-of-the-mill retreat. Doghouse is rooted in echo design and features a green roof, recycled wood from naturally felled trees from the driveway of our seventh president, Andrew Jackson. I love that. <laughs> Zero VOC paint and varnish and a personal delivery in Neil Young's car. 
In fact, the doghouse is already in Young's garage awaiting delivery. What do you guys think about that? That's uh, that's fabulous. Um, what is Neil Young's particular interest in this whole situation? Just something he, he probably can do. wants to meet Obama. Yeah, I don't doubt. He wants to keep on rocking in the free world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's cool. It looks like it's got cool gardens on top. Oh yeah, it's got some. It's got radiant floor heating and uh, <laughs> oh my, <laughs> some kind of garden on the top, and it looks like a little miniature. Uh, it kind of looks more like the Lincoln Memorial than the White House, That's I guess. True. So, perfect for that mild Washington D.C. climate. <laughs> I wonder if it's got some kind of green AC in it. What do you mean, like uh, pipes that go into the ground? And oh yeah, wow, it's a good idea. It's very intense. Well, I mean, the White House. I don't know if the White House has ever had an official doghouse. No. Like, you know, you figure presidents come and go, but they should have a doghouse for the pets that come and go. The White House is the rock house. Uncle Sam's the mofo pushing man. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> is that a Neil Young lyric? No. I'm not too familiar Dead with this, Prez. this Neil Young. Who is he? Where is he um, from? He sang some songs back in the 60s uh-huh. that were popular with the hippie crowd. Yeah. Were they really popular with, like, southern bands? Um, southern bands didn't really need him around but wasn't yeah. he wanted <coughs> wasn't he the young no out of uh the csny yeah is that him yep that's yeah right he's back he's back with a vengeance there's your history lesson kids <laughs> then he later sang with the eddie vetter generation o will keep you up to date <laughs> <laughs> oh as in voc as in obama I was reading ad busters they're talking about generation o so i guess that's the that's the new generation oh I thought after X would be Y, but... They had Y. Yeah, I'm Y. Oh, they I'm had Y. y. You guys are yeah, X. Well, that's yeah, that's shortly lived. Oh, shoot. Yeah. yeah. You guys are X, which is the, like, the dysphagia trying to fight for what's right one, and I'm Y, which is the information one. Uh, so now we've got an O, we can finally play tic-tac-toe together. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. That's so nice. Cross-generational tic-tac-toe. <laughs> <coughs> it's a good time to be alive, that's for sure. Well, Scotty... You better, uh, I better pull up. Better the get news. this show going here. All right, it's a great time to We're be alive. Listeners, quickly. And, uh, if you didn't think so before, this news will make you feel even better. Uh, we have these stories. We've we've got link found between Alzheimer's and mad cow protein. That's uh, this is from. Doctor Gregor was talking about that like five years ago or something. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of in the air, and the links are becoming stronger. Uh, this is from the San Francisco Gate uh, Chronicle, uh, and the story is, The latest in a recent flurry of clues on the workings of Alzheimer's disease comes from Yale University researchers who found a link between the disorder and the prion protein, which can cause mad cow disease and other maladies. The Yale team found that the prion protein, whose normal function is to maintain brain health, may contribute to nerve damage if it becomes entangled with a protein fragment that scientists consider a chief suspect as the cause for Alzheimer's disease. The suspect fragment, the amyloid beta peptide, builds up in the gluey plaques in the brain that are a characteristic sign of Alzheimer's, a progressive neurodegenerative disease. The amyloid peptide seems to stick to the prion protein, block its benign effects, and interfere with learning and memory, the group said in a paper published Wednesday in the journal Nature. It is very tantalizing, said Donard Leonard, Dr. Leonard Muck. 
director of the Gladstone <laughs> Institute of Neurological Disease, who wrote a commentary on the Yale theory in the same issue. Muck is part of a robust community of Bay Area scientists who are trying to ferret out the root causes of Alzheimer's disease and develop new medicines. I apologize if his name is actually Mucky and I'm <laughs> mispronouncing it. Uh, the prion work adds to a spate You're of... You're mucking it up, Scotty. I am. Mucky. I'm pronouncing Mucky. prion correctly just for, just for all the, Are the you sticklers. Sure? It's not prion? <laughs> it, it pries on, uh, as some have said, but no, it's prion. It wor- uh, the prion work adds to a spate of new leads produced at the Gladstone Institute at USCF's Mission Bay Campus the Buck Institute for Age Research in Novata, South San Francisco biotechnology leader, Green Tech, uh, or Genentech, I should say, and other research teams. Uh, the study uh, raises the possibility of a link between Alzheimer's and the family of prion diseases that includes mad cow disease and a related human neurodegenerative illness <laughs> called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. But the evidence so far shows no sign that Alzheimer's disease involves a prion protein with the deformed structure seen in Mad Cow and Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. Such misfolded prions can arise from genetic mutations or can be carried into the body by infectious particles from tainted meat. Muck or Mucky said that the prion protein, if it is involved in Alzheimer's, is probably in its normal form. There's no evidence that the disease somehow releases infectious prions. I don't believe it's communicable, he said. So there are some other new theories. Uh, it does not contradict other new theories, uh, which all suggest fresh potential mechanisms by which the amyloid peptide or its parent, a protein called APP, may wreak destruction on the brain. Each theory opens potential new avenues to experimental therapies. So far, much of the drug discovery in Alzheimer's has been focused on simply clearing the amyloid peptide and plaques from the brain. So anyway, this uh, is another uh, instance of some research that could lead to... Um, therapies for people who may contract mad cow or Kreutzfeldt Jakob. So keep your fingers crossed. (coughs) Yeah. Therapies. In softer news, uh, Victoria's Secret is going vegan. Yes. Isn't that great? Yes. At least for their new collection coming out (coughs) called Pink Body from Ecorazzi. The sexy lingerie company is introducing the new line as the product outcome of a tour around the country, speaking to hundreds of girls to figure out what was most important in their lifestyles. Apparently, organic, vegan, and eco-friendly were high on the list. Excellent. Yes. That's good news. That's important important to to you, Jillian. Girls are leading the way. I try, anyways. You don't like your makeup tested on bunny rabbit's eyeballs? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult thing. I mean... It's a lot of the eco-friendly stuff is super duper expensive. So I think you know if big companies are going to be making eco-friendly vegan lines, that's that's all the better because girls girls love that Victoria's Secret stuff. Did you know that a lot of lipstick has lead in it? That's disturbing. Do you know that you eat three tubes of lipstick a year if you wear it every day? Mm. The the, the (laughs) FDA doesn't regulate um, body care products at all. Wow! So they get away with a lot. That's yeah. nutty. So it might be worth paying a little extra to have unleaded lipstick. That's true. It's true. It's not I agree. on bunnies. I would just like to see more. Uh, well, more companies are are trying to get away from the uh, the animal testing in general. There's that that new skin product, which is the synthesized human skin, which they're trying stuff out on really? now. Most companies are doing that. I'd like to read a little more about that and be able to talk about it more. But um, yeah, that's what the majority of them are doing. They're making little patches of human skin 
and they're testing it on that. <laughs> well, that's a good idea. And that's some of the bigger companies, you know, have the money to do this crazy, crazy science. But it's... It's probably not that crazy. Yeah, I know. It, no, it's fantastic. It's just that, like, you know, for makeup, you know, I think that's, you know, maybe better used for higher and mightier things. But, hey, anything that's going to get bunnies out of mascara makes me happy. Yeah, and I, I don't know if they should be testing lingerie on bunnies either. No. <laughs> <laughs> That just seems wrong. Well, yeah. I mean, I hope they do that with some of their fragrances are pretty big, too. It'd be nice to nice to know if they get yeah, away so from this, that. This is actually just the body care products, not their lingerie. That's right. There are lotions galore, perfumes, lip balms, Good. and even a hand sanitizer. Fantastic. <coughs> of course, your best bet is to not consume any of this stuff. But, hey, if you need to, at least you should go with some of the nicer stuff. Yeah, it's cool that... I think what's the best thing about that story is that we have girls across the country saying that's that is important. And that's probably like high school girls. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. It's you know. the new wave of sensitive teens. I think maybe maybe <laughs> they were talking to uh, you know, older girls in their 50s and 60s. That's true. They could have been. Uh Here's another news story <laughs> for you. Uh <laughs> from Health Day, usnews.com. <laughs> The United States diet needs a heartfelt overhaul. Doctors are urging all levels of society to encourage good eating habits and cut coronary risks. <laughs> yep. Every level of society must contribute to strategies meant to make it easier for people to eat a heart-healthy diet, according to the American Heart Association. Health problems caused by U.S. diet extend past what people put on their plates to outside influences and trends in behavior that affect when, what, and how much people eat. Multiple factors influence what Americans eat at every state of the life cycle. Dr. Samuel S. Gidding, director of pediatric cardiology at Nemours Cardiac Center of the Alfred I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington, Delaware, said in an AHA news release Monday, strategies to improve Americans' diets should be comprehensive and take into account individual tastes and behavior, family eating patterns, socioeconomic factors that limit food choices, ethnicity and literacy levels, the statement concluded. The statement outlines specific steps that can be used to encourage good eating habits in families, schools, workplaces, and communities, maybe even at sporting stadiums. Uh, Patients could be asked to measure their food consumption and then limit the use of sugar-containing beverages, reduce portion sizes, eat more meals as a family, and make time for physical activity. Sounds like a pipe dream. Rather than specific diet counseling, doctors should support patient lifestyle changes and offer positive feedback for success in order to balance negative messages about unhealthy lifestyle-related risks. I don't think the pharmaceutical companies are going to like it. Well, how about this? School nutrition standards need to be strengthened, and the food industry needs to reformulate products marketed to children. Efforts to push for healthier standards in schools require the involvement of parents and lawmakers at the local level. Who wrote this article? Dave Warwick? I don't know. Some commie. (laughs) Longer-term and web-based workplace interventions are better than one-time only and printed literature in changing employees' working habits, uh, eating habits, I should say. Employers should (laughs) promote and possibly subsidize healthy food choices in on-site cafeterias, vending machines, and at meetings. Sounds utopian. I don't know. Food labeling laws that require restaurants to post the calorie count of their menu items can help consumers make healthier meal choices. Definitely true. Governments can improve access to healthy foods for people with low incomes by offering increased funding for food stamp programs that can be used at farmers' markets and by dealing with transportation issues that provide access to or prevent access to healthy food. 
Also, governments could provide subsidies to encourage agricultural production of more whole grain products, fruits and vegetables, trans-fat-free oils, and low-fat dairy products. Encourage more research on ways to make healthy foods the preferred choice for consumers. How about that? Like things that are good for you, I guess the idea is to make them taste good and be satisfying. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> sounds like the vegan diet. I know. Well, if you know, if you cook like we do, of course we know it's all tasty and satisfying. <laughs> I think it would probably be good for people who are who are eating tasty and satisfying and healthy things. Hey, let's have a check in with Ju- Jillian here. Yeah. <laughs> are you in the? Are you still? I'm here. Is there I'm more here. to this story? There is, and we're yeah. But oh, go ahead. sure, go let's ahead. go I'm and sorry. have a. <laughs> uh, yeah. Finish, finish, please. Sorry. Uh, so the last paragraph simply yes. says, the adverse trends in U.S. eating patterns must be reversed. Food choices are influenced on multiple social and environmental levels. With so many consumers eating away from home, we must make it easier for them to choose healthy food in every environment. The Heart Association statement was published in the journal Circulation. <laughs> so I like that. Is that. I like, like that finish. That makes me happy. That's that story. It's a good story. That's what I want to do with my life, you know. That's uh, what I want to do is teach people that they can get to food and eat uh, well and healthfully and tastily for cheap. You know, anyone can. But that's why I'm going to school for nutrition. And that's why I have my food degree. So I can go into people's homes and be like, hey, this is what we're going to do. You're just going to like walk into people's houses? Yeah, I'm just going to walk in there. I'm going to walk in. No, um... I am intending on trying to do it in a personal chef or nutritional counseling format. So hopefully, but I'd like to make it like, you know, rolling scale so people can afford me and talk to them and maybe do workshops. There turns out there's a doctorate in public health education. I was thinking about doing maybe that. Who knows? Yeah. So that's, that's my big thing. I don't exactly know how to market it per se, but that's what I want to do. Well, the future sounds good for you, Jillian. Let's ah, talk about the present. Yes. Five weeks vegan? Five weeks. Wow. <laughs> Has it been that long? Yeah. Have you cheated? Have you cheated even once? Um, work is a series of mini cheats only because I have to taste things. And that uh-huh. probably means I'm eating about a tablespoon of dairy a week, unfortunately. But that's not intentional that's like my boss is staring me down well you know what? I, I have to i absolutely have say, to hey, for boss, my request. would you try this for me no he, i would get fired really i would absolutely get fired yeah tasting food is part of a chef's job i have to make sure it tastes good for the general public but um other changes that have come about there's been no actual cheese there's been temptation but um stuff that's come about is that i can i feel like i have superpowers for a lot of reasons but i feel like i can smell cheese about 15 miles away <laughs> And not in a temptation sort of way, like in a dairy smells really, really demonic to me. You know what I said? um, It's creeping me out. (laughs) Carnicopia this week. I don't know how long they've had it, but uh, there's a vegan feta cheese. (gasps) Neat. I haven't tried it. Well, (coughs) today. It's kind of scary. I was in anthropology class today, and I was like, oh, oh, what smells terrible? What is terrible? Something's terrible. And I was like smelling my underarms, you know, smelling (laughs) smelling the kid next to me. And I realized my teacher was eating a Greek salad and there was feta going on. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I was a tremendous stinky cheese fan. Like that smelled fabulous to me before. But now I'm just like, the idea turns my stomach. And I think that like my body's beginning to catch up with my mind in terms of the whole vegan thing, you know? I mean, five weeks is a, a 
pretty long amount of time, I'd say, not to be putting dairy after I was eating dairy every single day. You're finally weaning yourself off dairy for the first time since you were a, an infant of breastfeeding. That's terrifying. Yep. Got your, finally got your lips off the cow's boobs. <laughs> um, yeah, in general, I it's pretty, pretty, pretty interesting, and I think people are starting to accept it a lot more in general. I mean, people are, people are seeing I'm not dead, you know, step one, and that I'm not emaciated at all, and I'm eating well. And I, we were talking about cooking at home well, in that article. the emaciation takes a while. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on at your home. Yeah, we right. cook all the time, and people are start, other people are starting to cook, too. My roommate, Nick, uh-huh. everybody's starting to cook. So, And they're starting to cook vegan food, and that's awesome. Veganism is kind of contagious, I find, if you're, if you're a happy vegan. Yeah, I if think so. If you're a pissed-off, angry vegan, then people want to avoid you. <laughs> feel like a happy vegan that's making food and doing happy things yeah yeah um enjoying your life you know it's contagious my roommate i left her today instead of being like i'm gonna order a pizza or something like she normally which is like i'm gonna roast some beets i think <laughs> and i'm like okay yeah. wow hey right on and it's just you know i think that's most of it there's lots of really good vegan food coming to the house like if i was making if I was in some sort of slump where I was just making curry and stir fry all the time, which I could be, you know, and I, I love that. And I've been in slumps like that before when uh, omnivorous, <laughs> um, I think that it would be less, you know, but you're right. Being a happy vegan is an exciting and wonderful thing. And it is contagious because I'm, I'm getting people on the vegan train. And I, I can feel it. I reckon it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's about time I, I did some more cooking. I think I haven't cooked yeah. f- with you Next in four week, years. Next week, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, what is it going to be? We we'll had some see. really good kale the other day. I thought of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the kale fan. That's true. Yeah, it's delicious. Um, and what was it last night? The cauliflower au gratin. Yeah, that Which was, was fake. Yeah, and uh, yeah, puff pastry is vegan. Some brands, not all brands. Check your labels. <laughs> right. But we shoved that full of some portobellas with um, rosemary and stuff and made it in kind of a fake Wellington, which was awesome. Yeah, that was that was great, too. And then sweet potatoes with brown sh- unnecessary brown sugar. <laughs> but I love it anyway. And some almond milk, which well, they was... They just go together. Yeah, I just I wanted some sweet potatoes because I was feeling not so hot yesterday. But not sick do, because vegans do don't get sick. If you want to be a little more pure. That's true. I can't, yeah, I can't afford... Maple syrup, un- unfortunately. But no, what happened to me? I went out drinking on Sunday night, and and then I got sick. Well, I went out drinking Tuesday, and I got sick. Yeah. It's the same thing. We can't so be messing with our immune systems in these delicate, fluey times. So you gotta be like me and stay home and drink. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you stay home, you drink, <coughs> you go to bed, you're fine. I don't, I don't drink know. out of anyone else's glass. This is true. <laughs> this is true. But I've been dancing a lot lately too, so that's been good. I've been my body wasn't feeling that active before, but I think I'm concentrating on a lot of other things because I'm eating better. So I've been dancing, going out dancing. Uh, my roommate and I are trying to go out dancing three, two, three nights a week to get our exercise on during the winter time, the end of the winter here. That's a great way to do it, <coughs> and social too. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about springtime. Can't wait for farmers market to come back. I know it's kind of far away, but I, I want it now. In March, I start to think it's spring. I'm pretty convinced. Spring's right around the corner. I really am like, it's now. Yeah, clearly. I'm like, doing my best to try and make the best of it. You know, I, uh, I, I got, I'm getting more into this yoga thing. Yeah. And that's helping exactly. a lot. Winter yeah. warmers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just something to kind of break up that, that usual winter routine of like finding a warm place to go and, and eat uh, ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I think we should probably take a little break. We should have Mark LaPala after the break. I know we have one more news story. We do. Scott's chomping at the bit. Well, this is the one you gave me. I'm very curious about. I know. I thought you were trying to not. What? Not. <laughs> I'm trying to not. Actually, I was trying to save it for last. You know? <coughs> He's save being it coy last. about right. it. Well, 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 let's go through that quickly. Yeah, would you like to? Death on a Factory Farm. Yeah, the title of this is Death on a Factory Farm, and this is uh, from beefmagazine.com. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, we do read this stuff. We, we love Capital Press. We love the agricultural press because they're really... I don't know. They, I think Good at proving I, us right? Oh. Well, they don't. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. It, it's that, yes, exactly. I mean, uh, and also that the fact that the, they seem really not to have a really good strong understanding of where we're coming from or mm-hmm. know anybody who's, you know. And so they they kind of like say this stuff and it really seems really like they just don't know. Well, they're pretty, I mean, they have to be disconnected from the animals uh, <coughs> ethically, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the strength from us reading about them and them not reading about us, I think that's I think that's a pretty good call. Oh, I'm sure they read about us. Something. They just don't understand us. Oh. So this is what <laughs> our blogger at uh, beefmagazine.com has to say. Uh, the animal rights activists are at it again. Uh <gasps> Busy. Oh, good. Making another dramatic documentary to show consumers the, quote, evils of livestock production. The documentary is titled... Death on a Factory Farm, and this 87-minute documentary will air on HBO beginning March 16, 2009. Excellent. Mark your calendars. (coughs) This is the provided excerpt that describes this upcoming film. A year ago, we were sickened by animal cruelty allegations at the Hallmark Westland Meatpacking Plant in Chino, California. Now, another undercover expose has occurred in an Ohio fog (laughs) hog farm. (laughs) Yes. Fog harm. Fog harm. And... (laughs) Will be shown to viewers of Home Box Office repeatedly in March. The film originated with a group known as the Humane Farming Association. HFA turned to a young man named Pete, in quotes, who makes his living doing <laughs> his undercover... His not really Pete. <laughs> not his real name. Who makes a living doing undercover investigations of suspected animal cruelty. Pete obtained a job at the farm, and the film shows his investigation over the course of six weeks, during which time he used a hidden camera to document numerous disturbing scenes such as piglets being hurled across a room into a crate where they crash into each other or onto the floor, an unhealthy piglet being taken by the feet and slammed against a wall to euthanize it, impregnated sows crammed into pens that don't allow them to move for up to 116 days, and finally a sick hog being hung by, from a forklift by a chain where it is seen convulsing for five minutes, according to a public relations representative for the documentary. For any of us in the agricultural uh, industry, this documentary sends shivers down our spines. It is <laughs> reminiscent of those made in the past, such as Fast Food Nation and Super Size Me, and this one will be no different. Now, now wait a second. I have to stop. This is saying that it sends a shiver down his spine, not because of the treatment of the animals or that this sort of thing happens, you know, God forbid, but no, it sends a shiver down their spines because it's going to send the wrong message. <laughs> <laughs> the soup, oh it's goodness. reminiscent of past uh, blank, such as Fast Food Nation and Super Size Me. And this one will be no different. It has the power to reach a great number of people, influencing and shaping the thoughts of viewers, this run-on sentence says. Uh, 
To put things into perspective, HBO has an estimated 35 million subscribers, and a premiere program on HBO can reach between 1% and 3% of that audience, or about 500,000 to 1.5 million people. For a single low-budget documentary, that's a lot of bang for their buck. And I'm worried about the effects this video may have on the future of livestock production. Oh, no. <laughs> we may have to improve it. Uh, he, he's concerned, apparently, about. So how should we respond to this documentary, Death in a Factory Farm? Kids, can you guess? I believe this is a perfect time for every one of us in agriculture to link arms. And quit. Quit? And drive those activists into the sea. Oh. No. And work together to stand up for the livestock industry. While the pork industry is the ones that will directly suffer from the impacts of this video... We all need to recognize that it could have easily been the beef industry taking the hit. For anyone that works in animal production, the documentary should be of a great concern. I encourage all of you to tune into this documentary and follow up with letters of response to the producers and to HBO. Then, start up some conversations with your friends and neighbors to hear their thoughts. Then, we need to work <laughs> to correct the misguided information on this video. I will provide my thoughts once the video has aired. Until then, maybe we should start looking for the perfect candidate to start making our own documentary for each respective livestock group. I would like to see that documentary. They're going to go undercover into vegan potlucks and <laughs> film vegans eating People hugging each other. Meat and, uh, I guess it'll probably be called products. Happiness on a Factory Farm or something. <laughs> um, I would really, I would like to see that documentary, i got to say. It's going to be all cartoon style. Yep. It's time we start telling our own story and quit letting these city guys with cash to burn. Tell it, <laughs> tell it for us. The city city guys. guys. That's us. I've never been to a city, and I'm proud. <laughs> I wish I had some cash to burn, Jason. <clears throat> oh, gosh. Listeners, help us. I don't know what the rest of these pages are, but look at this. Organic vegan truffles. Oh, that's mm -hmm. coming up, Scott. Don't get ahead of you. ourselves. Okay, I'll save it. We have some music here to take us through the break from... A vegan named Lewis Ledford, who has submitted some music for us. And this song is called, Are You Listening? Are You Listening, Listeners? Listen. Are you listening? Can you hear? I've a feeling that you've been away for a long time. It's time for me to say in words you can't ignore your own quiet way. I've been thinking it's a decision to be made. Are you listening? There's an awful lot at stake It's been building up for far too long There's so much I need to say In words you can't ignore In your own quiet way A love was built on innocence Free from guilt or incidents Lying on an unmade bed and reeling from the consequence. I swore that I would honor you. You swore to me the same. You left me with no dignity. 
crying shame I've got this fever And it burns me deep inside Are you listening? I can't make up my mind Do I still love you? If so, how do I explain In words you can't ignore In your own quiet way Marbles in our mouths, ready to go. Marbles in our mouths. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you there, Mark? Yes, I'm here. Oh, hello. How Mark. you doing? So I, I took a look at your website today, and it is absolutely awesome. Um, you have some really great policies about environmentalism, which is very cool, and your vegan chocolate, which is um, maybe my favorite food in the world, is vegan chocolate. Um, <laughs> it looks amazing. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you uh, a little bit, how did you, well, I mean, I, I read a little bit about how you got started with chocolate, but um, why why vegan chocolates? Because I see that you do, you know, both kinds. Right, well, you know, I had a store that was only doing vegan. And since I feel that chocolate doesn't really need to have milk in it. Like yeah. Why Why have a dark chocolate that has milk in it or have a dark chocolate that has any other animal product in it? So I said, all right, to the, this one store in Brooklyn that's now closed, by the way, I said, I'll create some vegan chocolates for you. And I said, I'll make them all organic. 
I'll make them all fair trade. So all the ingredients will be organic, all the ingredients will be fair trade, and all the ingredients will be vegan. And they said, okay, great. We'd love to have some. So I started off just creating bars. But it took a long time because it took a long, long time for me to find a chocolate that was vegan. You know, to me, that's like, that's crazy. Yeah, it should be a lot more pure than that, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I actually, the funny thing was, is I was, I have uh, some Swiss manufacturers that I talked to, and they are uh, bigger companies, and their, or, their non-organic chocolate was actually cleaner and purer than all of the organic chocolate manufacturers that I knew at the time. All of the organic chocolate manufacturers, like the Goba and just everybody, seems to have traces of milk or traces of nuts or traces of something else in their chocolate. It's not just chocolate because they use the same line for processing milk, uh, chocolates, or bonbons or, or other confections. So they, so they don't have just pure chocolate when they're making their chocolate. Well, the Swiss, the Swiss, it's important, right? It's super yeah, important. It's very important. So they're, all their chocolate, and they gave me chemical analyses of all their chocolates and, and what proteins are in there or not in there, and they were on top of things. It was amazing. And even for their milk chocolate, they use local Swiss milk chocolate, and their purity laws, laws are a lot stricter than ours in the United States. However, they weren't organic and they weren't fair trade. Actually, they did have an organic product that came out much later, but again, it wasn't fair trade. And, and so I kept on looking, and finally I found this small boutique that made um, organic fair trade chocolate. Actually, they didn't, they didn't even really make it, but, but they had it. So I was buying it from them to make all my vegan chocolates. So I, I created a line of vegan chocolates, and I sold it to of the one customer, and all my other customers started asking me for it. They wanted the vegan chocolate. So I, I kept on increasing and made more and more and more vegan chocolates, which are they're really great. Because people always say to me, what do you mean vegan chocolate? How could it be vegan? Does it mean it's got some, is it, you know, some strange stuff in there? <laughs> it, it, it's funny. You know, they say, well, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, and, and they'll say something like, doesn't have to be chicory or doesn't have to be... Uh, uh, and, and I'll say, no, mm-hmm. all it has to not have is milk or honey or other animal products or byproducts in it, uh, you know. And um, oh, <laughs> yeah, and they'll say, oh, I say, yes, it, it, it means it has to be pure, you know, than the chocolate you normally eat. You know? And so I, cr- I found a, one, one small boutique that was making this chocolate. And actually, I'm about to do a deal with another company that only makes dark chocolate. They're fair trade and organic, and they use even their vanilla is um, organic. Their sugar is all organic and fair trade, and it's they, their processes are sustainable. They they make their chocolate using uh, solar energy. You know, basically they have uh, collectors up. Wow! Yeah, it's, amazing. it's pretty <laughs> amazing. I've heard that um, um, <coughs> even their vanilla is uh, is not only uh, organic, but it's also uh, um, the farm that, that grows the vanilla, that grows the orchids, are um, is biodynamic too. So oh my oh, goodness, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I've heard that in the in the rainforest, the vanilla vines actually grow on the cacao trees. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool that they're like in nature together like that too. That, that is great, isn't it? 
And um, so what I did was I created another line for for my chocolates that um, doesn't use no milk is allowed to touch any of the, the equipment I use or no other animal products are allowed to touch the equipment I use for it. So it's completely separate and off to, to it by itself. Because I, I spent such a long time trying to find vegan chocolate that <laughs> I wanted to make sure that you know nothing else got in the product at all. So when we when you mean vegan chocolate is it is vegan super vegan. vegan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are so, there are a lot of chocolates out there that say that they're vegan, but then they'll say, well, may may contain traces of milk. Yeah, I find I find that I'm you know having to not compromise but just wonder a lot. I'm like, how much trace? You know, I mean. It's well, just... it's usually very small. Yeah. I mean, some some companies that have that say may contain traces of milk and that say that they're vegan, it's probably one part in 20 million or one part in 10 million or one part in 1 million. It's very, it's very small. But I, I didn't think that, you know, I, I didn't think that chocolate should have milk in it if unless it's milk chocolate. Mm-hmm. So it, it was sort of a, a challenge for me, and also it was sort of a more of a religious thing, where I wanted to make sure that if I was going to say it's vegan, that it will be vegan. I like that you choose the local, sustainable, and organic, because you don't always get everything with vegan chocolate sometimes. You get, you know, one or the other, and it seems like you, you really make sure that all those aspects are involved. As um, much as possible. We, we try to use uh, local ingredients um, and, our, and our hierarchy is we, we like to support the local economy first and then uh, make sure everything is certified organic and then make sure everything is fair trade. Um, with vegan, however, I decided that we would only use certified organic ingredients. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to worry about uh, anything but certified organic. Uh, with all our other confections, we use uh, various local products in them. problem with using local products is that they're from very small farms or very small um, <coughs> producers, and they are usually not certified organic, though their growing practices are as good, if not better, than those people who are certified organic. Yeah, I've, I've read and learned, just going to our own local farmer's markets, it's, it's pretty tough to become a certified organic and kind of expensive. So the kind of the best thing to do is just to talk to your local purveyors about their practices and generally they're going to tell you what's up what's going on you know exactly and most of the people i talk to uh actually the people who run health food stores a lot of them believe that local trumps organic anyway for the very reasons that you you were suggesting one because you have you know, it's not a big massive manufacturing uh, farm and so they, they have a tighter control of what they do, of, what, of how they use the land, how they utilize the land, and what they do to it. And a lot of these small farmers have been using organic practices forever and just don't have the money, the time to get certified. Uh, a lot of the uh, bigger farms that are certified organic, there are a lot of loopholes and, wa- and ways to get around, uh, you know, these organicness of everything you know what i'm saying just because it's certified organic don't think of necessarily of a farm that's pastoral and and people are are out there spreading manure on the ground and you know and everything is the clouds are overhead and everything like that (laughs) it's not always like that because some of these uh larger farms are very much part of the uh farming industrial complex um and and some uh, i get a lot of my uh 
nuts and, and things like that from organic farms that I know in, um, in California because I used to live out there. So, and, and a lot of them, a lot of uh, ones that are certified organic are, are also very good. I don't want to uh, cast dispersions on all uh, people who are certified organic farmers out there. But um, I also want to point out that uh, the local farms, especially the ones that we have here in New York, are extremely good, as well as a lot of the, my friends who are farmers in, in Vermont and Massachusetts who are too small to get be certified organic. Have you, um, <clears throat> are all your vegan chocolates dark? Have you ever tried to make like a, a milk chocolate with like almond milk or something like that? Well, I've, I've been thinking about it, but, you know, the, the, the thing about chocolate is, and, and, and if you ever take any cl- classes, on how to make chocolates or how to use chocolate, is that it's very difficult to combine anything with chocolate. There are only certain things that chocolate likes to be combined with, um, fats, uh, oils. So my vegan truffles, for instance, I use uh, coconut fat and I use also um, uh, coconut water, uh, organic coconut water and organic coconut fat uh, to make the truffles. But chocolate doesn't really like to be combined with anything. You know, if, if you uh, put water in your chocolate, it usually seizes. Unless you're doing things right and you're doing special things to keep it from seizing, you can ruin chocolate that way. So it's very difficult, actually, to make milk chocolate. You have to have special equipment, and you have to combine the milk in a certain way to get that texture that you get with milk chocolate and to have it still have the the polymorphic properties that chocolate has, that is, the ability to harden and contract and make that nice crisp sound when you bite into it. So it's not just, oh, I want to, you know, mix some soy milk or some almond milk into my chocolate and I'll have milk chocolate. There's a whole process. It has to be done in basically what's called an all-in-one or a, uh, a refiner conch, which would you put, you mix in the sugar when you're, when you're mixing in the chocolate and you then put in the milk. But I'm not sure exactly of the process because I've never made milk chocolate. I always just buy it because it's very difficult to make. It's one of the most difficult things to make. And um, the interesting thing is our, our organic and our vegan chocolate uses organic sugar, basically turbinado sugar. So it, it doesn't have, it's not whitened with bone char or anything like that. We're very careful about the sweeteners we use in our vegan line. That's something that you have to be very, very careful about. Um, we, we use, uh, you normally use agave syrup, but our, our organic chocolate already comes sweetened with uh, cane sugar, which is basically chemically the same thing as um, agave syrup or, or, or other sweeteners. The, the big difference with agave syrup <laughs> is that it has a higher fructose content than um, than uh, sucrose has. Wow! But all of our all of our sugars are again vegan sugars. I have to say, I'm looking at your um, at your site, and I'm really amazed by the variety of stuff. I mean, are these all your inventions—the tea truffles and the various yeah. fruit truffles and things? Right. Those those are made. Those are not vegan. Um, oh, what? There's, what? there's some <laughs> tea truffles that are vegan. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some tea truffles that are vegan. As a matter of fact, I do make a set of tea truffles. Um, that are vegan. Uh, the tea and fruit are vegan. I'm a fan of the Earl Grey tea. Is, is that really oh, yeah, good that's as really a, great. a truffle? The Earl Grey, it really comes through nicely. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, did, you, did I send you some? 
Well, you sent you sent me the chocolate, and I didn't share it with these guys. <laughs> what? <laughs> but actually, I, I went to uh, New Orleans to see my uh, girlfriend and <clears throat> for Valentine's Day, and we we made a video of ourselves sampling your chocolates, which is going to be um, released along with this podcast. So our listeners can go to our website or YouTube and see uh, see us live sampling your. <laughs> Wonderful <laughs> video. Yeah, and you'll have another video of me Good. being like all sitting alone and sulking. Now I'm in trouble though. <laughs> I ate vegan chocolates on Valentine's Day too. <laughs> I was but, gonna um, try to bring you guys back some, but Oh, I guess it didn't work. I didn't out. think I could get I'm, through customs. What's awesome is I'm looking and it's it's pretty affordable. Oh yeah. Which we, is we awesome. It's very affordable. Um be, you know, we try basically we try to uh make it so that everyone can buy it. I mean, the vegan chocolate is a little more expensive than, than our other chocolates. But, uh, yeah, we try to make it as affordable as possible. I, I've gone to many, you know, chocolate shops in New York City that were that I've, I've had their chocolate, and it's just awful. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone to these Swiss chocolate shops, like in Rockefeller Plaza, that just they're too sweet or they're, mm, you know, and, uh, and they're $75 a pound. Well, we, we sell our, our chocolate between 40 and $50 a pound. So it's 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 very affordable. We try to make it that way. Do you think the American palate has kind of been dumbed down to what real good chocolate is? Or well, I mean, you know, it's it's the Godiva, which used to be, you know, back in the '70s when it came on the scene in the '80s, it used to be was heralded as the gourmet chocolate. You can tell now that a lot of people um, that that used to think. Godiva, uh, me included, as being one of the best chocolate uh, chocolates that are made on the planet. Um, when you go back to it, you realize, oh, you know, that's just that's just okay. There are so many better chocolates out there. We have so many small chocolatiers. I mean, uh, Massachusetts, Vermont, New York is it, just t- hundreds of of small chocolatiers that are making chocolates now. I mean, it's more than you think. And, you know, there may be like ten big ones, including us. Who are making a lot of chocolates in those three states, but there are a lot of tiny, small people making really great chocolate using fantastic chocolate. Now they're they're, they're not making the chocolate itself; they're not chocolate manufacturers, but they buy, you know, great chocolate. The chocolate that's out there now is fantastic, and they're making wonderful, you know, confections with it. So I think, in general, um, you know, Hershey's is is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and so is Mars. So people are still eating it, and they still like that that kind of milk chocolate sour taste that American chocolate has, you know. And and that's what people grew up on. Well, that's how you can get in the convenience stores and Walmart. Well, I'm sorry, that's how you can get at the the grocery stores and Walmart and stuff, pretty much. So yeah, I'm trying to change that. <laughs> that that's where we put a lot of our chocolate. Our chocolate right now is in health food stores, and it's also in gift stores, and it's also in um, in uh, co-ops. So we're starting there, and I'm now trying to to move that out to regular convenience stores and to uh, you know other places because I think people in general would rather have a better chocolate. <laughs> I mean, look at look at the Goba, which is good, and a lot of other ones like Green and Black. They're, they're starting to get wide distribution. Yeah, you can find those in our local our local big supermarket now. I think. And I mean, with the advent of places like 
Whole Foods, you know, and whatnot, you're getting places that are pumping more of those products into bigger society, you know, which is pretty cool. Exactly. And when I started the Life by Chocolate, what I wanted to do was do them one better. I just didn't want to hammer out bars the way the Goba does, the Green and Black, or any of these other places that do organic chocolate. What I wanted to make was was real confections, what you would see in Europe. So even our bars, we make a shell first, and then we pipe in the centers, and then we cap them, just like you would for a cordial, for you, you would for, a, um, for, for instance, our tamarind and honey um, confection, just the way you would do for any molded chocolate that wasn't just stamped out on a machine as a bar. So all of our chocolates are handmade, and all of our chocolates are made with, you know, in a three-step process where you, where you do a sh- the, the blank, the shell, and then you, 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 you pipe in the center, and then you cap it. So they're very different from a lot of chocolates where all the ingredients are mixed together, ladled in the mold, and then, um, you know, wrapped and, and shipped out. We make ours just the way you would make a very fine chocolate, just the way any, you know, fine chocolatier would make chocolate. So we, we make over 200 different confections, including our bars, and they're all made by hand and with great care. I noticed you have um, vegan chocolate bunnies and fish and eggs. Um, do you ever have vegans that have trouble eating those? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they do. It was, it was funny. I was, I was talking to Bob Linden about this the other day, and I was saying, well, you know, we kind of changed our name. Instead of saying vegan heart, we say vegan valentine, just, you know, for people's sensibilities. And he was, he was kind of incredulous. You know, he was like, well, no, no, it's chocolate. It's not a heart. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not a bunny. It's, a, it's chocolate. It just looks like a bunny, so you don't have to worry about it. You know, he, he, he's a very, very, um, he's, he's very, uh, very strong vegan, and uh, he didn't have any problems with, with bunnies. So I said, all right, I'm going to call him bunnies again, Bob. And, oh, thanks. <laughs> I think you can tell a lot about a person by the way they eat a chocolate bunny rabbit if they start with the head or the feet or <laughs> yeah, somewhere so. in the body, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I know a lot of my, my uh, you know, my, my sisters and brothers, that what they would do is snap off the ears and then put them back in the basket when we were kids. <laughs> that, that, for sure, tells you a lot about somebody. My sister used to go around and collect up all our bunnies, and she would snap off all the ears and then put them back. <laughs> especially on a hollow bunny usually the ears are the only solid piece oh yeah that's true so where do you get some of the ideas for your flavor combinations i'm excited because i in my i've been vegan for about five weeks now and in my search i have found zero chocolate bars with chilies and chocolate that were vegan completely vegan and yours was the first i've seen so far so i'm, I'm very excited because i love chocolate and chilies it's my favorite in the world. <laughs> well, here we, um, you know, uh, the, way, the way this whole uh, chocolate business started was that we have the uh, Greenville Arms, which is uh, in New York, in, in Greenville, New York, and um, we have the Hudson River Valley Art Workshops, which is our art school. So I'm the chef, and I, have, and I make dinner for all the artists that come here for, for instruction. You know, we have about 39 workshops a year, 40 workshops a year. And I made all these different desserts uh, for them, and I used a lot of the flavor combinations from my plated desserts, and I just shrunk the whole thing down into a chocolate. <laughs> so f- 
to me, for instance, uh, I have a, I love I really love the chocolate with um, lemongrass curry. And that's a that's mm. a classic combination. Or uh, with chili, which is also something that that comes from um, the the Mayans and yeah, and, uh, Montezuma with his chocolate chili. I first, I, uh, I first experienced that at the uh, Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. Uh-huh. They had jelly beans, uh, chocolate ones, and jalapeno ones, and you eat one of each to kind of teach you about food. In you know, Montezuma had 50 cups of chocolate and chili a day. They said it, it helped him be with his 1,000 lovers. <laughs> well, you know, keep him awake for it, at least. Yeah. That's where they got the name Montezuma's Revenge from. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Well, they used to use cacao beans as uh, currency, too, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, yes, exactly. They, they were used at one time for currency, and uh, and well, nowadays it's still chocolate is still very expensive to make. Um, you know, the, the the greatest chocolate from the Criollo um, is ex- still extremely expensive. You know, as opposed to Forrester chocolate. I mean, uh, for instance, you know, the bigger chocolate manufacturers use the lower grade chocolate uh, beans instead of the Trinitario, which is a uh, or the uh, or the Criollo. Or, yeah, Criollo. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was getting a little tongue-tied there for a second. Well, we're um, a little mind-tied, so don't feel. You're bad. blowing my mind. I've, I've just never known anyone who knows every detail about chocolate, and I think it's really cool that you, were you able to read this chemical composition from the Swedish or whoever well, it was the Swiss. The Swiss. They, they, they sent me. They sent me the analysis. Yeah, basically, it's just you know, very very simple. It, they, it was just a list of ingredients and things like that. So it was just they sent me the 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 tail end of the analysis, but. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. And the other, the other thing I can do, which is, you know, if you've been a chef for a long time, a lot of chefs can do this, is I can taste the different uh, combinations in my head before I make anything. Mm-hmm. I, I know, know how it's going to come out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes you get some strange ideas. Like, for instance, the, the goddess bar is uh, soy with uh, bergamot, lavender, and dandelion. Now, who would ever think put dandelion in there? <laughs> but it works really nicely because it's a nice bitter base that, that holds up all the other ingredients and works really well with the sweet and with the chocolate as well because chocolate itself is bitter. So it's, it's a good combination. And, of course, lavender and chocolate is a classic combination. And orange, you know, bergamot and chocolate is another classic combination. So combining those three things makes a very interesting bar. So, you know, there's a lot of way, places that I get my ideas for chocolate combinations. And right now we make over 200 different confections, and that basically means, you know, over 200 different, different tastes and flavors. And that's a lot because we're a small manufacturer. We're, we're very hands-on, very uh, handmade artisan manufacturer. So we make a lot of chocolates. How big is your staff? How many people do you work with? Well, oh, there's me. And my wife, who's also the art director for the school, we have our secretary, who's also our, our main saleswoman, and I have um, three other uh, assistant chocolatiers that I've trained. That's so small. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, but we, we can turn out a lot of chocolates. Yeah, a lot at once. A lot at once. We, we do both uh, molded chocolates, and we also do enrobed chocolates. We do uh, various ganaches. We do uh, you know, our vegan line. We have uh, a lot of chocolates we make. And we, we ship right now to 16 states. When, we, when I started this company, we had just one store. And a year later now, we're in 16 states. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Mark, we're, we're out of time here. All right. But it's been very enlightening talking to you. Talking in. 
<laughs> talking <laughs> into you and having not, you talk into us. I'm not us. quite enlightened yet, but uh, um, it's been very enlightening talking to you. And Easter's right around the corner, so hopefully you'll get an uh, onslaught of vegans looking for chocolate bunnies. <laughs> and, and, um, or they're just their ears if you sell those by themselves. No, we don't, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like <laughs> That's the muff- not a bad idea, though. The muffin <laughs> tops and the bunny ears. Yep, those yeah, vegan carrot we chocolates. Also, yeah, we also sell um, regular confections, too, so you don't have to buy the chocolate bunny if you don't want to. Right, <laughs> right. Well, ch- check out lifebychocolates.com. There's a ton of amazing vegan chocolates on there. And you well, can thank also. You. Thank you, Mark, and we'll talk to you soon. I enjoyed it very much. Thanks a lot. All right, yep. thank you. Bye. And Bye. I hope you enjoyed those chocolates. Oh, they were amazing. The <laughs> video, the video will I don't to know it. anything about that. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy I'm them gonna, vicariously. I'm going to have to order these guys somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to go out and buy some of my chocolates so they can try it. I know. Now I'm in trouble. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow. So, I'm sorry, guys. That's all right. So were there any white chocolates in that mix, or is that even possible? Well, the thing um, is I with... I think what he said was... White chocolate is the fat of oh, the cocoa bean. It should always be vegan, but it is not. Again, what are you saying? Chocolate, but in its essence, does not have milk in it. Well, we got we got to close this show up. Sad. Um, you've been listening to WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, and this is Vegan Radio. Find us online at veganradio.com. we got all kinds of things you can do. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're all over the place. Subscribe. Inescapable. Up next is Seeing Red. Until then, see green, eat vegan, and love one another. Right, guys? (laughs) I agree. Yes. We can keep talking. That was a great ending. Hey, that was a great show. And listeners, if you stay tuned, podcast listeners, we got uh, Dave Werwick with Vegan 101, episode four. That's right, Vegan School. He's teaching you. He's going to teach he'll, you about he'll Obama. Obama. Obama eyes you. <laughs> oh, did you hear it? Obama eyes? No, I don't know. He's going to Obama eyes me. Oh, he, he's got some uh, sound clips of Obama talking about eating steak and. Oh, no. Barbecues. <laughs> oh, He's man. been going crazy all week talking about his lizard flesh munching. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but he's amazing. He's crazier than us. He is. Dave Warwick. Stay tuned. Podcast listeners only. Hey, kitties. Welcome. Vegan School 101. The fourth episode. We're living in an abomination. And... You know, there's a lot of hope for change, and after what we've been through with George W. Bush, there's no wonder we're all feeling good. And I can't help but think we're, we're living in a dreamland where nothing's really changed, things are still the same. When you look at what Obama knows, what George W. Bush knew, they're very different things. Obama's a smart man, whereas Bush, you know, he was just stupid. He had no excuse for his blunders. But when Obama knows full well about the National School Lunch Program and how it shapes the, the eating habits of children and how these children grow up and they develop health problems and that affects the health care crisis and uh, when you look at evolution and how he read the factory farming uh, report the United Nations put out, the Long Shadow Report, he knows all these things and yet he's doing nothing about it. Same old thing, same old song. Nothing's changed, people. 
you know, you can you can think that things are getting better, but until Obama goes vegan, nothing's changed. And and really, he has to realize that that his uh, presence in the world, his values, his morals affect people, and they model their behavior after him. And for him to deny that and uh, let other people cook his meals and let him just go about his business eating and, and letting other people suffer. You know, that's a crime against humanity. You know, to, to decide that children shall stumble and die early deaths just so that uh, some people can work and uh, eat the way they wish. It's, it's a crime. So let's listen to Obama. And this is from uh, Nikki Benoit down in Florida. I asked Obama the, the question at the rally. And uh, let's listen to his response. That I do like a steak once in a while. I like barbecue. Right now, our, our food system worldwide is under enormous pressure. It's under enormous pressure. Uh, because that I do like a steak once in a while. I like barbecue. First of all, you've had, as a consequence of climate change, uh, you've had severe uh, changes in weather patterns. We don't fully understand what these effects are, but for example, Australia's had huge drought, which has taken a lot of crops, uh, or you know, grain production has been much lower. What happens then is, because it takes more grain to produce a pound of beef than uh, if they were just eating the grain, what ends up happening is, is that it puts huge pressure on food supplies. Now, that I do like a steak once in a while. I like barbecue. Americans would actually benefit from a change in diet. I don't think that. I don't think that. I don't think that that's something. I don't think that that's something that we should legislate. Uh, but I think that it is something that, as part of our overall health care system, we should encourage. Because, for example, if we reduced obesity down to the rates that existed in 1980, we would save the Medicare system a trillion dollars. We would reduce diabetes rates. We would reduce heart disease. That I do like a steak once in a while. I like barbecue. And, and, and so the fact that we subsidize some of these big agribusiness operations that are not necessarily producing healthy food, and we discourage or we don't subsidize farmers who are producing fruits and vegetables and small-scale farming that gets produce immediately to uh, consumers as opposed to having it processed. The fact that we're not doing more to make sure that healthy food is in the school. All those things don't make sense. That I do like a steak once in a while. I like barbecue. And I think it does... It is important for us to re-examine our overall food policy so that we're encouraging good habits and not bad habits. For example, you know, just making sure that there are more fruits and vegetables in school lunch programs, that would make an enormous difference in how our children's diets develop. That would make us healthier over the long term. It would cut our health care costs, and maybe it would help uh, people elsewhere in the world who are in le less wealthy countries feed themselves as well. So it's a great question. It's important. All right. That I do like a steak once in a while. I like barbecue. All those things don't make sense. Americans would actually benefit 
from a change of diet. I don't think that I don't think that I don't think that that's something I don't think that that's something that we should legislate. That I do like a steak once in a while. I like barbecue. All those things don't make sense. No, it really doesn't make much sense, you know. It's not a personal choice when you're eating my friends and you're ruining my world. When you made your personal choice, did you ask the animal if you can confine, torture, and murder him or her? When you made your personal choice, did you ask me if I mind all your pollution and devastation? My tax money subsidizes your personal choice. Now, just because we personally make selfish choices does not make them personal choices. Well... Let's end this episode with a quote from Barack Obama himself. If you want to change the world, change has to happen with you first. 